Well, this morning we begin a series on stewardship. Thank you so much for the assistance. Uh, in spite of the special effects, stewardship. <laughs> The S word is not a scary thing. It just so happens that every year when we talk about stewardship, it's around Halloween. <laughs> but when we talk about stewardship, you know, what we're really talking about, the essence of it, is what it means to be blessed. I mean, to, to be a steward really is about saying, I have a blessed life. The Gallup poll did a study in January of this year in their survey found that 50% of Americans say they are very satisfied. Not just satisfied, very satisfied. In fact, if you include all of those who said, well, I'm at least somewhat satisfied, it goes to more than 80%. At the same time, a Harris poll found that only a third of Americans say that they're happy right now, and that's actually going down. Another poll conducted last year says happiness is at an all-time low in American society. Now, how do you explain that? Satisfaction rising, happiness falling. I'm no social psychologist, and I don't play one on TV, but I'm a pastor. And when I think about the words happiness and satisfaction and the relationship between the two and what moves one to another... I think about the word blessing. Blessing is the spiritual fulcrum, if you will, that, that lifts from happiness to understanding the power of satisfaction. The Hebrew word for blessing is barakah, and it's associated with prosperity and life. Now, that can sound like a selfish word, you remember a few years ago, there was this social media movement called Hashtag Blessed. People would put pictures enjoying their stuff, life, their good health, but, you know, it's kind of inward focus, like, I'm living a blessed life because of all that I have. So they put Hashtag Blessed. But blessing is not a secular term. It belongs in the spiritual lexicon, Blessing is what God wants for every one of us. God wants every person to be able to say, I have a blessed life. But to say that means that we don't just enjoy our blessings. It means we also talk about what we can give, what we can do. Jesus said in the book of Acts, it is more blessed to give than to receive. In John chapter 13, he washed the disciples' feet. And then he said, now I have left you an example. And he taught them about it and then said, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So we're beginning a series today. We're going to carry through to the Sunday right before Thanksgiving. And we're going to talk about what does it mean to have a blessed life. And we begin today thinking about how a blessed life is a meaningful life, living a life of meaning. And we're going to think about serving. But we're not going to talk about the things we do when we serve, acts of serving. 
Uh, sometimes we will give emphasis to that. We'll talk about learning our spiritual gifts, how God made us, how we can put those to work. That's important. But that's really meaningless if we don't talk about the spirit that motivates us to serve, the attitude of serving. So to think about living with a serving attitude, a serving spirit, I want us to consider a woman from the book of Genesis named Rebecca. Rebecca became the wife of Isaac, the son of Abraham, who was given this tremendous promise as God led him from the land where he was raised to a new promised land and said, from you, from your offspring, will come a whole nation of people that will be holy to me. The nation of Israel came from Abraham. But now what's interesting is Abraham is also the ancestor of many of the Arab and Palestinian nations. Now think about this. In a part of the world that is so divided, they claim the same spiritual ancestry. And so do we. So in this story, Genesis 24, what we had read just a moment ago was a little snippet of it. But the story kind of is throughout the 24th chapter. Abraham is getting old. He knows he's not going to be around much longer. And if this promise is going to stand a chance, his son Isaac needs a wife. So he says to his servant, I want you to go back to the land I came from. And I want you to find a wife for my son Isaac and bring her back. Now, right away, right away, don't you have problems with this story, women? Do you have a problem with this story? Some guy's going to come and say, hey, you got to come back with me because you got to marry some guy you've never met before. I mean, it just reeks of paternalism, chauvinism, but it's still a good story. So let's think about this. If you can kind of escape our world today and understand that we're talking about a world in that time that felt this is how we operate. This is how we live. This servant of Abraham goes to this region where Abraham came from, arrives at a village called Nahor. He goes to the place where women would come out to draw water to take back into the village. And so he, he prays a little prayer. He says, Lord, give me success in this journey. The woman who comes out and says to me, can I give you a drink? If she also says, and I'll draw water for your camels, then I will know, Lord, that is who you want me to extend the invitation to. And right at that moment, Rebecca shows up. And what do you think happens? She gives him a drink and she says, let me draw water for your camels. And the bip, the boop, the bop, she goes back with the man and she marries Isaac. <laughs> but the power of this story, and there are many lessons but the most powerful lesson is the one that's most hidden. In fact, you don't even see it there because it is stated so casually. It's in the offer to draw water for the camels until they finish drinking. How much can a thirsty camel drink? Let me help you with that. 30 gallons in 15 minutes on average. A thirsty camel can drink 30 gallons in 15 minutes. And we learned earlier in the story that this servant brought 10 camels in the caravan. Okay, math class, how many gallons of water are we talking about? 300 gallons of water. Now, Rebecca had a water jar on her shoulder, what she used to take water from the well 
on average, those jars were anywhere from three to five gallons. So once again, math class, how many trips to the well is she making? That one's a little bit harder, isn't it? Yeah, 60 to 100 trips. How much does a gallon of water weigh? Eight and a third pounds. Multiply it out. She's carrying 25 to 40 pounds, not counting the weight of the jar. 60 to 100 trips. This is a remarkable act. This is an incredible offer she has made. Let me sweat for the rest of the afternoon for you, some man I don't even know, as an act of service. And you're going, where's the blessing in that? Think about it for a moment. Think about how Rebecca's act of service opened a door to her future to her future I know that this is an antiquated outdated story for our world today but in a world where women did not have rights a woman's value was being able to have a family to have children that's what gave a woman a, a sense of purpose, fulfillment in a society. Now, we can have our problems with that today, but just understand the feeling of the average person in that day and time. And, and let's just say, for the sake of argument, that Rebecca would have been about 18 years old, young. But on average, girls who got married in that society did so between the ages of 12 and 16. So imagine that at just 18 years old, Rebecca might be starting to think life is passing me by. What if I never get married? What if I never meet that person? What does this mean for me? What if I, what if I don't discover the purpose in my life like I wanted to? How are other people going to look at me? What's going to happen? And now an antiquated story is getting really close to home, isn't it? Because have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt life is passing you by? You have missed your shot. It's gone. You might not ever have the meaning you thought you were going to have. I just thought my career was going to do this. I just thought I would become this. And now I'm getting to a place when I'm, I just know the clock's ticking. I'm getting older. I guess I have to let go of that stuff. My chance at real meaning like I thought I would have. I might not know again. And the danger in a discouraged place of life like that is our attention can get turned inward. It can get so focused on ourselves that the last thing we feel like doing is giving attention to somebody else in need. I mean, we're the ones who are waiting for somebody to come and offer us what we're looking for. We're waiting for God to give us what we're looking for. And the last thing we can be focused on is what does somebody else need? But when we can give attention to the other need, even in a place of discouragement, God can open a door to our future. Some years ago, I went to a church conference in Honolulu, Hawaii at New Hope Christian Fellowship. In fact, I was just thinking, I believe our staff needs to take a retreat to this church sometime soon, especially about January. That'd be a good time to go. 
This is an unusual church. They, at that time, averaged around 10,000 people in worship every weekend, Saturday and Sunday services. But what was really unusual is the church did not own any property. They met at a high school. I got to know their executive pastor, a man named Elwin Ahu, and he told me how he became a pastor in the church. It's fascinating. He had been a superior court judge in the state of Hawaii, and he says, my life was a total wreck. I was going through my third divorce. I was miserable. My, my administrative assistant would try to help me out. She would constantly invite me to her church. He said church was about the last thing I wanted. So I would turn her down, and so what she would then do would be to offer me recordings of the sermon cassette tapes that shows you how old the story is cassette tapes he would get these tapes put them in her stuff to humor her when he got in his car he'd throw the tape on a seat and he was collecting quite quite a set of these sermon tapes well one day he's driving and he's fumbling for some papers he's looking for and he, he grabs a cassette and he looks at it and and the title of the sermon intrigued him so he put it in he said i'm driving down the road and i'm listening to this person talking and i think this person is talking to me right now. It's eerie. It's like he, he might as well say my name. He's describing my life. So he would listen to another cassette and another cassette. And this went on for a while until he thought, I need to go to that church. So he said, I went one Sunday, and he goes, to be honest with you, it really was not a great experience. For one thing, there was only one entrance into the auditorium, and there was a woman who guarded the entrance, and you had to hug her to get in. <laughs> she hugged everybody. Aloha, aloha. And he goes, I hate being hugged. He goes, I stood there just like this while she did that. Then when she was done, I walked in, and I took a seat. And he goes, and the music was just kind of raucous. It was more like a rock concert. He said, but then the sermon came, and it was the same experience again, and it was enough to make me come back again and again and again. He said, and finally one Sunday, I've been in the tender now for months, and one Sunday I've been hearing them talk so much about volunteering. I said, okay, today's the day. And he went out to the volunteer tent, and he said, okay, I'm here to sign up for something. They said, great, we need help. Every weekend, we have to transform the high school into a church campus, and it takes a lot of work. So come Friday night at midnight. He said, midnight? They said, we can't get in here until 7 o'clock after everyone is done with the school, and then we can start work, and it takes a good seven, eight hours. So he decided to work late that Friday. Still in his suit, he came at midnight. They handed him a bucket, some rubber gloves, and a scrub brush and said, now go to the boys' restroom. So he went down to the boys' restroom and a person who was in there directing the volunteers said, great, start scrubbing around the toilets. He's in his suit pants. Okay, so he gets down, he's scrubbing. He said, after about an hour, I had all I could take and I just sat up and I went, Lord, how did I get here? How did my life get so messed up that I'm a judge and I'm scrubbing toilets in a high school boys' room at one in the morning on Saturday? And he said, all of a sudden, I felt a voice that I've come to recognize since as the voice of God say to me, Elwin, what do you think I've been doing for you? I have been scrubbing your heart of all of the grime of your anger, your bitterness, your lack of self-worth, your perfectionism. This is what I've been doing for you. <laughs> he said, 
that toilet became an altar and I offered my life to Christ and I kept serving and I got into other positions he said they finally relieved me from the toilet duty in the bathroom then I started doing other things and other things next thing you know I'm a pastor in the church and now I'm the executive pastor even in a discouraged place when we can give our attention to what can I do for someone else God can open a door for our future but go back to the story for a moment about Rebecca there's another part to this story that I think is kind of hokey and it's the prayer of the servant he prayed Lord help me out here if the person the woman who comes out offers me a drink and offers to give a drink to my camels then I'll know that's who it is and then right at that moment Rebecca shows up can I give you a drink can I give water to your camels it's like one of those stories where somebody says I drove into the parking lot of Walmart Lord I know that you want me to shop at Walmart today if you'll open up a parking space right down front you know and right then a car backs out so that I could it's just kind of hokey except for this Rebecca did not know what the man had prayed she didn't know she wasn't aware of that she was just serving and then came to find out someone on our staff shared a story this week about being in a place where they were really desperate and offered up one of those prayers to God like God (laughs) you better do something here because we can't we are desperate we need help and right at that moment the phone rings and it was a friend of theirs who said you've been on my mind I want to come by I want to leave you a gift you never know when we choose to serve and just notice needs just be on the lookout that when we when we follow through on those promptings we might discover that we have become the answer to somebody else's prayer you never know you're just doing your thing you're just noticing hey this this might be a situation I can do something about I might be able to help this person and you never know but when you find out later on somebody says would you believe I was praying and you came along I believe God gives us those signals all the time puts puts thoughts of of names in our head gives us a prompting that says hey stop pay attention do something for this person and uh, you can't bat a hundred percent you know we're busy people we're forgetful you know things just get in the way we don't always respond to everyone but you know what if you play baseball and you only get one hit every four at bats you'll keep your job If all you bat is 250, a baseball team will say, I'll take that. I'll take that. I believe God sends signals to us all the time, and sure, we're going to miss some. But when we respond every now and then, we realize, holy cow, that was a hit. I found out somebody was praying. And I believe God gives us lots of at-bats, and if we keep swinging, we'll have some hits. One last thought about this story. Rebecca went on to be significant in God's purpose she wasn't necessarily significant when she served she wasn't a matriarch of some global purpose she was just Rebecca a teenage girl from Nahor 
And she showed up to do what was a high value in that culture at the time, which was to serve the stranger, to care for those in need. She was just serving. Average girl doing what she could, just offering water. But it became significant. I wonder if we're willing to find significance and doing insignificant things and to let go of the significance for what we hope that will become. That's the key, to find significance and just knowing that we can be of help to another person. Martin Luther King Jr., in his last sermon he preached at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, February 1968, talked about this very topic. It was the focus of his sermon that day. And in that message, he said, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to, to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. You never know the significance we can discover when we simply make it our aim to be available to serve others in need. So a few weeks ago, we recognized Patricia Mazar, who was our minister of visitation for just one year, and unexpectedly, she had to move back to Arizona. But we are really excited to announce our new pastor of visitation, who is no stranger to St. Luke's, and that is Brian Smith. I've asked Brian to not only by way of introduction of himself to us to share a little bit of his story that I think for this day particularly you're going to find interesting. So Brian, thank you for being with us again and for sharing with us. Well, good morning, my friends. I just uh, came from the 930 service and uh, I'm not as familiar with that service that I am in here you most likely will find me um, and my wife, Jen, three rows from the back. And uh, I often joke that uh, they're going to put a plaque on there one of these days with, with our names on it. This is our pew. Yeah. So good morning. I, I'm very familiar, and I've met so many of you in this room and to become good friends with, with a lot of you. And I see so many of you, my good friends out here. So I'm so happy to be here. As Rob mentioned, my name is Brian Smith, and I have the pleasure and honor of introducing myself as the new minister of visitation here at St. Luke's. I'm beyond thankful to, to Rob, to Jen, and the Staff Parish Relations Committee for allowing me to become a part of the pastoral care ministry team. I also want to say a special thanks to Pastor Eric, who was instrumental in my acceptance to this team. So I don't have to say if he's listening, he's right here. So. Thank, thank you, Eric, my friend. My journey to this position has been an uh, interesting but wonderful one. The year was 1997. I had just finished high school two years earlier, and my dream was to be in law enforcement. I wanted to be a police officer. So I attended Ball State and majored in criminal justice and pre-law. To make a long story short, as I was becoming more involved with the Disciples of Christ congregation, I sensed my call to ministry. I transferred to Anderson University <clears throat> and received my bachelor's in Bible and religious studies. I then began my studies at Christian Theological Seminary. It was during my time at CTS in the year 2004 when I walked in 
to this wonderful church. I love the church right away. I love the minister at the time, Kent Millard, and his messages. I think I saw Kent out here somewhere. Yes. They were messages that focused on God's unconditional love and grace for all people. I was very attracted to this theology and the overall message of the church. So later when Rob came, I quickly learned that he too espoused this message. So I decided to remain at St. Luke's, and after being a regular attender or constituent for 10 years, I got married to Jen, and we became members of the church. Well, shortly after this, I remember walking into the donut room one Sunday morning, and the ministry showcase was taking place, just like it is uh, out here today. I signed up to be a greeter and an usher that day, and little did I know that that signature would change my life at St. Luke's. I became an usher and a greeter, later a small group leader, and later disciple leader, and now I'm the new minister of visitation. I never would have dreamed on that day 20 years ago when I walked into this church that I would say that. Wow. It's amazing what God can do with one signature. Friends, for the last 14 years, I have served as a hospice chaplain. I've seen a lot of death. I've seen a lot of suffering. I've met countless patients and loved ones and officiated many funerals. Out of the many lessons I've learned during my experience, there is one that stands out. Life is very short. Don't have any regrets. So go and sign up and serve. It might change your life. It did for me. I'm looking forward to meeting all of you again and perhaps visiting with you sometime in the future. God bless. If you don't know Brian, you're going to love getting to know him. He uh, says about himself, I'm a crier. You know, he cries, and I believe God uses great pastors to meet us in our tears. And I think you're going to appreciate his ministry. I mean, he wanted to become a cop and then a hospice chaplain, now a pastor in a church. That's, that's a natural sequence of events, isn't it? Isn't that the flow most people have? I, I, do, I will say the only job you did not mention was scrubbing toilets in the boys' room. So still got time for that one, Brian. But you're going to love getting to know Brian, and I just appreciate his story. You don't know what might happen when you just go over to a place like the ministry showcase this morning and sign up to serve somewhere. And how God might, who knows, you might find yourself up here one day. I'm a pastor in the church. That's where it starts. All of our stories are like that. My story's like that. Eric's story's like that. One day we said yes, and you never know what God might do with it. If you're already serving somewhere and you love what you're doing, stick with it. And just go by the showcase and get a donut. <laughs> if you're serving somewhere, but you think, you know what, I might be ready for something different. Go and browse. See what looks interesting to you. And if you're not serving anywhere, just walk the room and see if something grabs your heart and how you might respond to that. Because this is where meaning comes from. When, when our only meaning comes from enjoying what we've got, there's going to be a limit to our joy in life. There's going to be a limit to the satisfaction. We're going to depend on happiness, and that will be a roller coaster. But when we know that next level 
of taking what we've got to be of value and serve others to help we know a much much deeper satisfaction God means for all of us so we're going to close we're going to join the team in singing then I'll say a benediction but right now as we get ready to sing let's just join in a word of prayer Lord you're a God who comes to serve us that's just amazing and mind-blowing you come to serve us but it's not so that we can just sit back and be served it's so that we will follow your example and know the power and joy that comes in letting you then use us to be of help and aid to others to discover not only doors of opportunity that open but the power of people saying you're an answer to my prayer we can all do that every one of us can do that help us be your answers of prayer in a hurting world in need of compassion we pray this in the name of him who is all love grace and mercy jesus christ our lord amen